Right, well, we've um, come to our final session, our sort of final um, Q&R, really. So if anyone has any questions perhaps they've accumulated from all that we've heard um, today in the three input sessions that Peter's led us in, um, now is your time, if you haven't asked the question, to ask it now. So I hope there are one or two. Yeah. If, if you were to change the name of apologetics to something else, what would you change it to? Oh, good question. Yeah, because it's a terrible phrase, isn't it? It's so misunderstandable in today's culture. Um, I think persuasive evangelism is quite a good way of putting it because it, it gets rid of this dichotomy between evangelism and apologetics as if they're sort of separate things. And I don't think when you look at the New Testament that, that, they, that they are. I mean, you could separate them intellectually, but they, they practically they go together. And uh, it's a phrase that particularly um, Peter May, uh, who's a friend of mine in Southampton, used to be the, uh, in charge of UCCF until he retired recently from their board, but he's written um, some booklets and articles on evangelism, particularly looking at, at Paul in, in Acts and, and, and so on. And um, he's quite keen on the phrase persuasive evangelism uh, as well. And I, and I think that's got, it's got a nice, broad kind of understanding to it as well, because you can take that persuasion um, in, in its full um, apologetics in 3D glory, uh, if you like, as well. So, yeah, just as I would, I would substitute the word trust for talking about faith, I think, you know, persuasive evangelism or, um, would be quite a good substitute for apologetics, yes. Uh, P.S. P.E. P.E. Yes. Yeah. Just don't, initi- don't initialise it. Yeah. Or um, answering people's questions about Jesus. Or, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, pick your audience to describe it how, how, how is appropriate to them. But, uh, yeah. I think a lot of problems I have or have had over the past few years, uh, put into context, I'm on a website which is largely music based but does sometimes stray into topics mm. of religion and there are two or three people there who are always in them and are very very so what I call fundamentalist mm. atheists mm. and also to put it into context the site is actually sub- randomly over 50% homosexual mm-hmm. and all the all these people need to do in these topics is suddenly go on to the Christian view of homosexuality or child abuse by Catholic yeah. priests or yeah. <laughs> they yeah. just go into these things which put horror to anyone who is is unsure on things and the question mm. of how how do you manage to quickly counter the mm. the sometimes the, the very damaging things that the atheists can say that you actually just have to hold you out of and say actually the thing is true. There are issues here. Yeah, sure. Uh, and I think it does no one any favours to try and, you know, there's no whitewash at the White House kind of attitude. Um, religion and religious people, including Christians, obviously have and continue to hold views that are wrong, to do terrible things to other people, etc., etc., etc. And I think one just holds one's hands up and says, that's true, 
that goes uh, as evidence towards a Christian view that people are fallen and sinful and need help. And, uh, you know, if someone is doing, you know, these things, uh, who we're pointing to is, is Jesus. Um, and if you've got a, you know, a beef with Jesus' view on things, then, you know, take it up with him. Um, but it's, it's him that I'm, that I'm following. Um, so, um, and just sort of admit stuff and, and try and move on and keep things focused on what is the issue. Because, as you say, these things can be raised as, as a sort of red herring. And sometimes it's not possible to, to, you know, I'll just briefly deal with that red herring that you've just brought up because you will, it will succeed at derailing the discussion onto a whole other area off topic. And this was very much in the case, and you can watch the, the YouTube video of this, of the debate I had at Cardiff University against um, Professor Norris. You know, I came on, I gave my opening speech of my five arguments for the existence of God, and he came on and basically said, um, all of these arguments have been shown to be wrong by philosophers, but, but I'm not going to show you why or explain what the mistakes are. I'm now going to go on a rant about the Catholic Church and the Inquisition and I don't like the doctrine of hell and yeah. all sorts of red herrings. So, yeah, what do you do practically in that situation? Do you res- try and respond to those red herrings and say, well, I think that's what I did in, in that situation and it was simply to, you know, when I came on for a rebuttal speech, say to the audience, you know, okay, here's where we are. I've given my arguments... Professor Norris says they're wrong, but he hasn't actually told us why they're wrong. Here, here, he didn't respond to this, he didn't respond to that, he didn't respond to the other. He said a lot of things that we could get sidetracked into talking about, but which are not the topic of the debate. It's not what we were talking about, not what the discussion is. You know, if you want to go and start a discussion thread on the discussion board about Christian views of homosexuality or whatever, that's the place to have that discussion. And in that context, it might be a red herring to start talking about the fine-tuning of the universe, you know? Um, so trying to, uh, to firmly but gently keep the point at hand, the point at hand, yeah. without necessarily thinking that you've got to respond yeah. to things in, in the particular circumstance. Because, as you say, often, often you, you can't, and that just then just derails onto a whole other topic. Um, yeah. yeah. We spent today, I think very profitably, looking at um, effectively meta-narratives. Um, I deal mainly with people who have accepted Jesus on a heart level, who have not got beyond a normal a materialistic secular worldview. And who, in terms of thinking, probably don't think deeply about the sort of issues we have today, but are much more focused on day-to-day living. Mm. And how do you actually get them to the point where their minds mm. are converted, as well as their hearts, mm. and where their lives correspond? Yeah, excellent, excellent question. And a very deep one and very difficult to respond to uh, briefly. I, I, I think this, this whole notion about, about discipleship and, and the structure of spirituality, of seeing how deep it goes into the whole person and, and how, how those elements of, of what we think and what we choose and what we do and so on actually feed, 
feed into one another um, such that you you know you, you, can't, you, you can't properly divorce them from each other and sort of say well you know I'm following Christ because I'm doing the right things even though I, I, I have attitudes about things that Jesus wouldn't like or I have beliefs about the world that Jesus contradicts you know that, that doesn't s- square or, or you know point it any way around you like so I think getting people to see that Jesus has Jesus has a viewpoint on these things Jesus has an example on these things that that actually we in our fallen state find find hard to understand the world the same way or to behave in the same way or to have the attitudes that, that he had or whatever that he's that he calls us to, to put on Christ in our discipleship um, seeing that difference between between calling and reality is is the first step to doing something about it you know um, think of Jesus saying you know if to the Pharisees if, if you didn't say you could see you wouldn't be sinful but you claim that you do see and uh, and you're not if we if we say we have no sin in us then we're not in Christ uh, etc um, so so seeing that, that Jesus has a serious calling upon our lives and that all of us in honesty fall short of that and what do we, what do we do about that what does what does Christ call us to do about that that he's not just there as a sort of divine insurance policy against the fiery day, as it were, um, but that he has, he has a, a program for our life here and now, in living in the kingdom, living the kingdom life here and now. Um, that he hasn't left us alone in, in that calling. He's given us community, he's given us the Holy Spirit, he's given us scripture um, to... Uh, show people and call upon, call upon them to engage in that. And, and again, you know, of course, you can draw the horse to water, but you can't make them feed. Um, but you can give them an inspirational vision of other people who are further down the path than them. You can try and make them thirsty for it. You can try and, through good rhetoric, get them to see what is true and good and beautiful about Christ that they that they want that they don't have that Christ wants for them. Um, you can get them to see those things not as a sort of finger wagging oh you're falling short aren't you terrible but as an encouraging Christ has so much more for you and he's given you all of these things to to help you to do that Um, I was always very impressed by the passage in Screw Tape Letters from C.S. Lewis where uh, I think one of the devils is is talking about that that (coughs) disreputable way in which the the creator um, is always holding out his hands to these fallen children of his and however often they fall down as long as they get up again and reach their hands out to him he still wants them it's you know it's sickening isn't it it's right. um, <laughs> that the, the thing is you've got to recognize your fallenness and your need for help otherwise the gospel doesn't speak to you but if you just focus upon that it's so negative <laughs> why would you want it you've, you've got to, you've got to focus on the on the on the positive flip side of that which is what god is is calling you to be in him the wonderful destiny and glory that he's got for you and the church and the new heavens the new earth and all of that 
um, and the, the way in which um, he's willing you on from glory to glory as we, as we put on Christ despite our fallenness. Um, and if you can help people to kind of catch a glim- glimpse of that positive vision, I think that's the, the prime step the most one can do in, in getting people to, for themselves, choose to start in, in engaging um, at a deeper level uh, with the Christian life beyond the just yeah, I've, I've, yeah, yeah I believe that I've signed my insurance policy right what's the next thing I do I'll wait for heaven okay, you know, get on with life <laughs> we've got to, got to bridge that, that, that gap and, and start you know, thinking about living in the kingdom here and now even though it won't flourish finally until heaven comes to earth and I think not everyone, as much as Peter would like everyone to go to pick up his box and read them, not everyone is going to be equipped no. to go to pick up his box and read them. I, I always think about um, Tom Wright, you know, about Tom, uh, N.T. Wright, you know, where he's coming in there, N.T. Wright will publish this. Yes. Yeah. Tom yeah. Wright publishes this. It's the yeah. same person, the yeah. same topic, but much more bite-sized mm. and at a different mm. level. And I think when we come to apologetics, persuasive mm. evangelism, mm. whatever we want to label it, um, there are courses for horses rather than mm. horses for courses mm. in this case. Um, you know, th- there's, there are ways in conversations and questions that are appropriate to certain individuals in their context. Mm. And, and that will begin a process. And for, for many people, it remains mm. at that very basic level. Mm. Most Christian people... Um, have an emotional connection to their faith rather than an intellectual one. Um, now, we may say, well, no, for a wholeness of life, it needs to be the whole mm. person. And obviously, we want to see discipleship progressed as far as any given individual with God's grace can progress mm. it. And as churches and as ministers, we need to be equipped to the highest level of our natural ability <coughs> so that we can then. Um, provide that apology, that defence, depending on who's asking us, mm. depending on mm. who's coming to us, you know, which in most parishes, in most ministries, are ordinary people with ordinary working lives, the burdens and troubles and busyness of life, who are asking actually quite basic questions. Why did Johnny die? Why did my dad die? Why, you know, those sorts of emotional relational mm, questions mm, mm. and that can provide a way in for us but it has to be done in humility mm. and past, with pastoral sensitivity yeah, yeah. Uh, in those contexts yeah. um, and so giving them C.S. Lewis and the new atheists although it will boost Peter's revenue <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. don't don't, yeah. don't inflict it on them that's right no 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 I think sometimes it's not even in the traumas of life it's just how do I relate what I do every day mm. To what I hear on yeah. Sunday, and if there's a disconnect there, yeah. then you know <coughs> it's not happening. Is it? And if you think about last year's conference over here, this time last year, we're about making connections, mm-hmm. making mystery of life, worship, and work. But mm-hmm. actually, um, if we're getting this stuff right on a Sunday, we should actually naturally connect yeah. with what's yeah. going on three or seven yeah. throughout the week, yeah. um, or for us and for mm-hmm. our people. Here, here's quite. Uh, here's an interesting thing in my. Um, home group, Bible study group in my church in Southampton um, the, the leader of our group pointed out recently when it comes to our prair time I think we're, we're very good at sort of 
um, saying, you know, I've got this difficulty or whatever, I, I, want, I want some help with that, or I want to pray for so-and-so who's going into hospital to have an operation, or whatever, the, the, these kind of things. Sort of asking for stuff, basically. <laughs> Prayer time becomes asking for stuff. Um, even if it's for other people, so we don't too, feel too guilty about the ones we ask for ourselves, you know. But... <laughs> Um, she's actually introducing the last couple of weeks as we sort of go around the circle, what do we want praying for, of, of, of saying, is, is there anything in the last week where you felt God was really involved in a situation, where you felt um, led by the Spirit to do something or pray for someone or, or say something or, or behave differently in the world because of Jesus? And, and, what, hap- and what happened about that in it? Um, and that's, in a, in a sense, a rather sort of un-British thing, because we, we think we're saying, I did something good. You say, don't, don't look at it that way. Look, look at it as, as saying, you know, Christ has inspired me in following him to do something that brought just a little bit of, of the kingdom on earth, was a little bit of salt or light in society that I did because of Jesus and the glory goes to him. So don't be sort of shy and terribly English about it. Uh, and, and think about it and encourage one another by, by actually saying, well, you know, this, this happened and I, and, I, and I did this because of what you, you said in the Bible study group last week and actually that was really good for them and, and praise, praise Jesus because of that or whatever. Um, making those kind of connections into everyday, you know, life at the school gate kind of things um, and, sh- and sharing them and encouraging one another in that sort of following Christ every day beyond beyond the just sort of well you know can you pray for my nephew who's going to go and have an operation or what job should I go and get or whatever um, and that's that's been you know quite a sort of really um, okay um, but actually over the last couple of weeks found it really quite encouraging um, and um, yeah so I just I just found that an interesting experience myself recently that, that relates to that I'm just interested of I'm the only non-trained, non-lay reader that hasn't been through any of your courses or anything. What's your general impression of the level of understanding of the whole point of actually being the club which is called the church? The religious side of the club. Yes, it's social. Yeah, we can do a good spread when the new vicar comes. We can send people off. We sing a few good hymns. We can be happy, happy. The, the understanding of the people of Paris, who's actually the president of the club? Well, uh, because, because I, this I would want to, seems to address I would want to, to me. question the use of the word club. I actually, a lot of my I think I think a lot of people can treat the church as a club, but if the church is being the church, the one thing it shouldn't be. Is clubbing. It should be a community. Because actually, the thing about churches, clubbing <coughs> by night, all those people on a Sunday, is their relationship to Christ. Mm. And their varying commitments to that relationship. In terms of uh, background, education, wealth, they may be very diverse. Um, and quite disagreeable. Yet, real communion, real community is multi generational, multi ethnic. Um, and what brings people to church, um, now on a sociological level, there are various reasons why people may be in church, 
unrelated to why the church sees why it's meeting on Sunday, but that's a, another strand of the conversation, really. Mm. Uh, but the church is meeting to worship the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if it isn't meeting to that, then it need meet. Um, but that's, that's the meeting on a Sunday, and I'm thinking about the link up with the everyday. Well, look, as out of that Sunday gathering, whatever form it takes, that should be resourcing, challenging, encouraging the people of God to live out their Christian life 24-7. Well, what, what I'm saying is that from a point of view of understanding and at what point do we, because I've been completely naive with some of the topics, I think I've just about stayed with you for what you've been saying, but I wouldn't have the ability to, you know, to, to, to give that sort of level. And I wonder sometimes with the general, we, we, we expect habit in a plate, uh, we expect it to be easy. We've got the attention of the gnat. We have five minute sermons, ten minutes if we're lucky. We're, we're into the routine, the religious, rather than the worship and mm. the amazing and the mm. calmness and the understanding. Mm. And I've just come back from America with the Presbyterian Church of you know, 500 twice a two, three congregations mm. a day. But they have adult Sunday mm. school. Yeah. yeah. Catechesis teaching mm. of faith has been, for probably a generation or two, very low on the mm. agenda in the Church of Wales. I, I would most of you might agree with that. I agree. <laughs> um, and that actually, what we need to do as we move now uh, into a post-Christian, post-Christendom definitely, and mm. more and more post-Christian society, then the church needs to refocus and reshape itself more on the early church, mm. the church in the marketplace, the missionary church, engaged as St. Paul was in the Areopagus with the culture of the day, and engaging with it on a toe-to-toe level. Um, because actually, what we're not about is we're not about opinion, we're about truth claims. Mm. We believe in God, Father, Son. When we say the creed, we're not just reciting poetry. Mm. We are making claims, fundamental truth claims, mm. about what we're about, what the whole... And it's a cosmic claim. It's not just about me and my God. This is about the fundamental nature of reality as we see it. If you've got to that state of community... But yes, the people will be... In any, in any given congregation, you're going to... It's a journey, it's a pilgrimage. Mm. We talk about being a pilgrim people. So people will be at different levels of that journey, intellectually, emotionally, <coughs> spiritually. What brought them to church in the first place may be radically different. Some people may be seeking a club, some people you know, just friendship because perhaps they're lonely or something. Some people are on a spiritual journey, they've lost someone, there's been a significant event in their life for good or for ill, and it's made them ask questions. Some people may have been there all their lives, they've been nurtured in that faith. That doesn't necessarily mean they're super advanced Christians, mm. it just has become a natural part of who they are. And there's nothing wrong with any of those reasons for being there, and there are many, many more. But how the church self-identifies and sees itself as a discipling, living, worshipping community, mm. I think we need to be more clear about now and mm. offer different things. So we need to be offering for those who want it, because you can't force people to do anything. Um, there's lots of material. We, I, I, I get so frustrated because we don't live in an impoverished society, generally speaking. Mm. People do have access to books, to the internet. Yes, there are people who don't, but many people do. And there are so many resources out there that people can do their own time, in their own way, in terms of 
prayer, spirituality, and building on foundations of knowledge and the faith. And yet, actually, it's about our priorities. We'd rather do other things sometimes than say, right, I'm going to set this apart so many hours per week to learn about my faith, to develop my spirituality and prayer and relationship with God. Because like any friendship, if I say I'm your friend, but you never see me again, mm-hmm. it's not much value, is it? Mm-hmm. But if we're friends and we're meeting for coffee regularly and chatting, that relationship will develop. And so it is with our relationship with God. If we say I'm a Christian but don't do much about it, uh, or maybe an hour on a Sunday and that's it, then that relationship's not going to get very far. But if we're spending time in prayer and reading the scriptures, in community and communion with each other and with God, the Eucharist, um, and we give that relationship time, it will grow. Um, and if we prioritise that relationship in our lives, then it'll grow perhaps surprisingly and significantly, because it isn't self-help. It's about mm. opening ourselves up to the God who is there, the God who is the gift and the giver of the gift, mm. and who wants relationship with us. And I think once we've got that fundamental reality sorted in, in our minds, individually and corporately, things, surprising and wonderful things can happen in individual lives and in churches and communities. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I, I agree very, very much. Um, I think being, in, being intentional about that, the goal that we want to be discipling the church towards and laying out before them in, in the range of appropriate ways, as you say, some practical ways of, of, of doing that and some inspiration towards doing that. And I, I just come back to what I was saying earlier about giving people a, a vision through that rhetoric, for helping people to see the beauty of Christ and be captivated by him. Um, you know, we, we love God because he first loved us. And it's out of that primal response of, of joyful, loving response to God reaching out to us that we are inspired to develop our relationship with him um, in, in the, the whole gamut of, of what that means. Um, you know, and some of us are, are toddlers in the faith and some of us are teenagers and some of us are being rebellious, rebellious with it and some of us are... and so on. But we, just as, you know, we, we have that, 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 that path, as you're, you're saying, and we, we're, we're kind of there as sort of godparents and teachers to help. It isn't about knowledge. Some people have lots and lots of knowledge. And knowledge yeah. is good and positive, and I... I'm not sure, I hope it's not about power, because that's a dreadful bit of wood that should never have been put there. But because it's Victorian, they won't take it down. It says knowledge is power, if you read it. This used to be the library of the Theological mm. College, and that's why that's there. I think it's a dreadful thing, because it's not about power at all. It's about relationship. Mm. But actually, knowledge is useful. Mm. Knowledge helps. But not everyone, not every Christian, has the time or the capacity to mm. increase their knowledge. But that doesn't mean they're not working on their faith. I've met some people with a very simple faith on an intellectual level who have great wisdom and prayerfulness and generosity of heart who are wonderful, inspiring lovely Christian people but, but they're no intellect um, but the church also needs intellectuals who can be in the public arena like Peter and others who can actually at a much higher level give yeah. an account but that doesn't mean yeah. that every baptised Christian has to get a degree no. in philosophy no. and theology because, A, it's never going to happen, 
um, and B, that's not what yeah. the gospel's yeah. about, because the gospel's about a yeah. living relationship with the living yeah. God, fundamentally. Yeah. And, and, and that relationship include, includes all of us, and, and calling us to, to, to maximise our worship of God with, with all that we are, our intellect as much as our behaviour, uh, or our, our time, or our giving, or, yeah. or, or what have you, um, in the way that's appropriate for us at, at, at that moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a holistic endeavour. Yeah. So the whole of the person. Um, I think I would commend that. Mm. So does that go some way to answering your question or not? I'll talk about you with about it. As in, I don't know. It's it's, it's just interesting. I, I, you know, all this response is a movie some sort of train. Yeah. I think what probably I'm asking is how many people in these. Because there are a whole host of reasons why people go to church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How on earth I ended up where I am now, I'm, I'm still not quite certain. Yeah. But I think I needed them as much as they needed an organist. I think that's about <laughs> um, and, and this debate about what are we practically there for? Mm-hmm. Practically there for? Yeah, there's yeah. the action side of it. It's absolutely no good having it up here if it doesn't yeah. go anywhere else. Yeah. Um, well, I think, yeah, I think that, and, that's and the where... Le- and the level that the general... The church. Is, it hasn't been church, because we don't have church, we don't have school is It's so multi The, the church can become an end in itself, and actually the church isn't an end in itself. The church is a sign of the kingdom. Um, Christ came not to build the church, but to proclaim the kingdom. And sometimes we get stuck in the church bit too much so, without so reaching out to yeah, create the kingdom. What I'm asking is, so mm. as, as a group of lay, lay readers, do you feel positive? Are there things that as a, you feel are positively moving? Or do you feel, you know, because it, it mm. seems that the, the further you get forward, then we get the Dawkins of this life, you know, come up. And in a way, actually, it's very good because it's brought it all back up mm. on the agenda of death. Yeah. But equally well, for the man in the street, for the person next to the person who just had the wrong prescription given, or, mm. um, you know, in hospital, has been, you know, the Staffords of this, this world, it, it's that sort of, are we at that level that we, could, that we could actually bring that? Have we resourced our congregations enough? Not necessarily with the Bible readings and the bill to put in quote it, mm. but the actual practicalities of, mm. this sounds awful. Now let me think, you know, and, mm. um, meeting with them on that everyday level. I think there are congregations and places that are doing that, but I would have to say, like a weather forecast, it's mm. patchy. Mm. Um, yeah. And actually the church needs to do more of mm. what you're talking mm. about, not less. Mm. Um, but there's a whole cultural realignment going on mm. on multiple levels within the church, and particularly within the church in Wales, as an Anglican province at the moment, and we are being challenged, provoked to change. We need mm. to be changed, because actually I don't think the church, the church in Wales now, as our denomination <coughs> as Christian mm. is, is fit for purpose in its current shape, which is very much a combination of medieval mm. and Victorian hierarchy and structure. Mm. That wasn't fit for the last century, and certainly won't be fit for the rest of this one. Um, mm. And so we're in a process now of how does God want us to change? What shape does he want us to be? How does he want us to realign? And that's going to be a generational thing. That's not going to happen in the next five to ten years. I'll take a generation. But I, I reckon in a generation, the church may be a bit smaller, but it'll be leaner, fitter, more focused, and possibly even, dare I say, more faithful um, than it's been for 
sometime in the West, because of mm. course the church is global, and if you went to Africa and Asia, you would see amazing, vibrant, staggering mm. things going on that, that defy the imagination mm. from a liberal Western European perspective, where the church seems to be always on the back foot and dwindling. Um, so I do think that there, there are historical and cultural tensions. There are historical yeah. and cultural tensions yeah. that we're yeah. facing, particularly in Western yeah. Europe at the moment. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm really glad to hear re- re- reflected that, that thinking about some of the things that have gone on today is, is challenging, mm-hmm. and it's, it's challenging personally, it's pa- challenging communally. And, you know, if, if you haven't found it challenging, then wait for the podcast to come out and listen to them again. <laughs> because I think it should be for, 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 for all of us. And I, I find the things that I'm saying there from the front personally challenging to me. I can't uh, absent myself from the, the spotlight um, that, that that throws upon my own spirituality and walk in Christ and my own practice and so on. Um, so, so thank you very much for that. Um, Time is against us. It's now half past three. Um, so I'm sure Peter won't be rushing out. Mm. Well, he can't rush out. Going next, but, <laughs> so you might want to have a, a private word with him. Thank you for coming today. It's been really, really good. And I'm sure on, on your behalf, I will thank Peter for a, thank you. a very fast-paced and tour de force, really, introduction to the area of Christian apologetics. But I think you've actually given us a lot in a very digestible form. Yes, it'd be good to hear the podcasts and look at the notes and the articles again. Um, but a really good, thoroughgoing um, reminder, encourager and facilitator for our responsibility as Christian ministers in resourcing the people of God and in giving an account, a reason for the hope that is within us. And I'd like to really thank you on behalf of the Assembly here for today. Thank you.